Today, we're going to look at loving one another. And as you look at Scripture, as you look at God's Word, you're going to see something that is uh, fairly clear throughout the entire uh, 66 books of the Bible, and that is the expectation of God's people to love God and to love people. We actually call this the Great Commandment. Jesus said, uh, all of the law, everything is encompassed in this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so these are the things we're called to, uh, but I believe also these are the greatest challenges we have. As human beings, I think our tendency is to fall away from our love for God and fall away from our love for each other. And so this morning we're going to look at that. Uh, We see this play out throughout all of Scripture. And so in the Old Testament, we see this picture that's given to us as we see the historical count of the nation of Israel. The first king of Israel was Saul, followed by King David. Now, King David had made some major mistakes in his life, uh, but he was also known as the king who was a man after God's own heart, that he had a love for God. And that love for God led him to a love for the people of God of Israel. We're told that David established the capital of Israel in Jerusalem, and he called it Zion, the Mount Zion, the place that, that the Lord lives And that David led his people in a way of loving God and loving his people. Now David had a son who would take his place as king, King Solomon. Solomon, we're told told throughout scripture, was established uh, with wisdom. That the first thing he asked God for was wisdom and God gave it to him. Unfortunately, as we see Saul's life play out, he didn't use that wisdom for the entirety of his life. As he was led... Uh, to marry into other cultures and to bring other gods into Jerusalem and into Israel. And with that, uh, he had a desire to expand the nation. He wanted Israel to be a powerhouse. He wanted the nation of Israel to be known. And so he established uh, the building of the waterfront, of building a port city, uh, establishment of building his home, and establishment of building the temple that he was given by God to build. To do this, it cost money. To do this, it cost manpower. And so we're told in Kings, the book of Kings, 1 Kings, that Solomon instituted slavery for the first time in Israel. We're also told that King Solomon instituted taxation, and he taxed the people to raise the money he needed. And so from David to Solomon, we see this change of attitude towards love of God and love for people. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam had no desire to worship God. And he invited false prophets and false belief into Israel and into Jerusalem. And what his father had done with taxation and slavery, he had doubled, telling the people that they should live in fear. And all this has given us to in the account of kings. And King Rehoboam led the people to a civil war where Jeroboam was raised up as the people's leader. And here we find this battle of leaders, one who loved God and loved the people, Jeroboam, and one who had walked away from God and walked away from the people, and Rehoboam. And because of this, we have a division or a divide in the nation of Israel. And over the next 20 kings, we're told that not a single king in the northern kingdom loved God or loved his people. In the year 568, Assyria captured the northern kingdom. And did you know that the northern kingdom was never reinstituted? It never came back? It was only the southern kingdom 
that would return from Babylonian captivity. All because they fell from their love from God. And because they didn't have a love for God, they had no love for people. This has been the story of mankind. This has been the story the Bible tells us. It shows us. And because of this, both the northern and southern kingdom were taken over and put into bondage and into slavery. And we see that for hundreds of years, because of the lack of love for God, because of the lack of the love for the people, they found themselves in exile. And so my question this morning, as we see this picture given to us in the Old Testament, my question for us here this morning, as we've celebrated Thanksgiving, we're on our way to celebrate Christmas. These are times of great joy, but also tension and stress. You add on the pandemic, people are not happy when they drive. They're not happy when they shop. They are at edge. I don't know if you've noticed. People don't seem to be as jolly this year. So my question for us as the church, as the called out ones, the ones that are followers of Christ, is this, can we love God and not love each other? Can we love God and not love each other? Is that possible? And so we're going to look to God's word to see what his answer to that question is. Before we go to it, let's precede it with prayer. Father God, you are so good. You are holy and just. You are righteous. Your name is above all other names. And so, Lord, we ask that your will would be done this morning, that you would give us wisdom and discernment. And, Lord, help us to see how much you love us, but not just us. You love all humankind. You loved us so much that you came and died for us. And so, Lord, as we discuss this topic that can be very challenging, convicting, Lord, I pray that you would protect our hearts, protect our thoughts, that we wouldn't grow bitter or angry, but that we would recognize the hope and peace you offer, that we would embrace it and that we would live it out. Lord, thank you for revealing your truth throughout all of history. Thank you that we know that today is one day closer to your return. And so, Lord, as you come, we are excited. We, we look forward to that. Help us to be faithful today on our journey to see you. We thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to be looking in the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to chapter 12, one of the more famous chapters in the New Testament. Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. Uh, the Roman Christians were not in an easy place. Uh, they didn't celebrate Christmas there. Um, they celebrated feeding the Christians to the lions. They celebrated the persecution of the Christians. And so they were in a situation that was very hostile, very challenging, and very difficult. And so for the Roman Christians, they needed support, they needed wisdom, and they needed guidance. I don't know about you, but today it's difficult to know what you're supposed to do sometimes, right? You go to a restaurant, you go to a store, do you shake hands, do you wear a mask? What are you supposed to do? And there doesn't seem to be a lot of clarity on that. And it can be very discouraging and frustrating when there's not clarity, correct? When things aren't clear, it can become very discouraging, and it can cause you to be upset. Well, the beauty of scripture is that Jesus has clarified what he's expecting of us. 
God has not made it, so we have to figure it out. He has shown it to us, and he has made it evident through his words. And he used Paul to write to the Romans, and not just to the Romans, but to you and me today. He's writing to you, he's writing to me directly to share with us truths we need to live out our lives. And so we're going to begin in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says this, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to who? One another. In love, honor who? One another above yourselves. And so Paul lays it out. He's very direct. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says, look, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to claim him as your Savior, if you're going to claim him as your Lord, then part of that is loving each other, that we must be sincere in that love, that we must hate evil the way God hates evil, and we must cling to good the way God desires us to cling to good, and we need to be devoted to one another. Devoted. What a word. Do you feel devoted to? Do you feel that you're devoted to others? We're called to honor each other, and not just honor each other, but honor each other above ourselves. Because the natural tendency for us is to honor ourselves first, right? The natural tendency for us is to be devoted to our own wants and our own desires. And Paul is writing, and really it's the words of Christ to us this morning. If we want to love one another, if we want to be true to the calling that God has put us on earth for, it is to be sincere in our love and devotion to each other, honoring each other above ourselves. I think of it like this. Instead of using people, we need to be useful for people. Amen? How can I be useful instead of using? None of us want to be used. Nobody wants to be used. But it's a powerful testimony to be useful, to support, encourage, and honor other people. Verse 11, it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, I grew up, and one of the jokes we would give from my dad, my dad was a pastor, is the way he got us to go to sleep is he would stand uh, in the corner where all the rooms were, and he would preach to us, and that would help us all fall asleep so wonderfully. I think it is a sin not to have fervor for your faith. My prayer is, and my conviction for myself is that if I ever come up here, and I don't take this serious, and I don't give everything I have, that I don't deserve to be up here. And as a follower of Christ, I don't think any of us should ever walk in a way that isn't full of fervor for the Lord, understanding that he has saved us from our sins, our eternity is set. What could you be more fervent for than that? Amen? Amen? That this is an opportunity for us to love each other. And it's amazing because Paul makes this powerful statement that we're to love each other and honor each other, and then he tells us how to do it. And he says, you need to have a fervor. How do you get that fervor? He tells us, by praying daily for each other, that we lift each other up into prayer, that we are committed to praying. Prayer is the gas that energizes your life. And if you're not connected, then you won't have that power. You won't have that fervor. You cannot fake the Christian life. You cannot fake being a Christ follower. Eventually, it'll all be seen for what it is. The energy, the truth, the life, the hope is found in an intimate daily relationship with the Lord. And he is the one that changes your heart towards people. He is the one that softens your heart. He is the one that gives you a love for other people. 
And so it's a commitment every day to the Lord, and he will give you joy, and he will give you patience. I believe we all today need some patience in our afflictions. I don't know what's ailing you, but Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to fix it right now. He actually says, I want you to be patient in it, because what I'm going to be, do is much bigger and better than anything you can imagine. You see, as a Christian, there's only really two options. Either he heals it in this life or I get to go to heaven, right? Either he heals it right now or I get to go to be with him. That's a pretty amazing option, right? And so we should live in that hope. We should live in that truth. And we should put each other above ourselves, recognizing that that's from the Lord. Verse 13, it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Hospitable. One of my goals and prayers in the new year for our church is that we become hospitable. That people feel loved when they come here. That we look for ways to encourage outside of Sunday people. That we're following them and we're helping them along in their life's journey. That we're hospitable. What a powerful testimony to have to be a church that's hospitable. That the love of Christ is so evident and so real that people know when they walk through those doors that they are loved. And no matter what sin is in their life, God can forgive it through Christ. And that God has a plan to use them and he made them in a specific shape to fit a specific spot in this church and the church of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. I hope that's our prayer. And then it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is the important part of this verse to me because I think that the lie that I believe sometimes and the lie I believe we believe sometimes is that you like people because they're likable. Are people likable? Some people are. Do you love people because they're lovable? Did Jesus say love them because they're lovable? No, he said, love them, because when you love them, you love me. We're not lovable. I'm not lovable. There's a lot about me that I need to work on. You're not lovable. <laughs> There's a lot of you you need to work on. See, I think we get mixed up, and we think we should only love the people that are lovable, and we should give them the hospitality, and we should treat them the right way, and we should be nice and kind to them. And, and I believe here, Paul is, is really saying it fairly clearly. He's saying, you don't just love people because they're lovable. You love them because Christ loves them. And because when you love Christ, you love people. And so the next time somebody cuts you off, or the next time someone does that's something very unlovable, Remind yourself, you don't love them because they're lovable. We love them because by loving them, we love Christ. And love doesn't mean you let them get away with it. <laughs> love doesn't mean you empower evil. Remember, we're to resist evil and cling to what is good. You love the way God loved, the way Jesus loved. What did Jesus do? He, he told the woman at the well all the sins in her life. And yet he said, there is living water that you can have. They will cure those sins. And so we don't embrace sin. We don't say sin is okay. We don't condone it. But we still love. And the greatest form of love is forgiveness and sharing the good news of Christ, the ultimate forgiveness for all of us. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, love in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Whew. 
That person that's asking for money on the side of the road, how do I look at them? What do I think about them? Did Jesus make that person in his image? You see, this is where the rubber hits the road. People are not lovable. When you really get down to it, we are all full of sin. There's sin in me, in my nature. There's sin in you, in your nature. And there's an enemy all around us stirring us up all the time. But there's a God that's greater than all of that. And he calls us to look past that and see the potential of what he can do in a life. You know, Paul killed Christians And he's the most famous Christian that that we know about. He tells us more about Jesus than anyone else tells us about Jesus. And so this one another, loving each other, is not necessarily about embracing everything about each other, but it's about forgiving, encouraging, supporting, and sometimes calling to conviction in each other. But it's a family. When's the last time you cried because something else, because someone else hurt? When's the last time you celebrated because someone had something to celebrate? You know, my sinful nature, it makes me feel good when bad things happen to people I don't like. My sinful nature wants bad things to happen to people I don't like. My sinful nature makes it hard to celebrate for other people because I'm prideful. And so Jesus calls us to confront those things in our heart and recognize that they are sin and they're evil and we are told to resist evil and cling to what is good. Who's the last person you celebrated with because of something that God did in their life? When's the last time you cried with someone because of their pain, not yours? This is what we're called to. This is the one another that we're being taught to follow after. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. We all want to get vengeance. We all want to get back at that person that hurt us, that did that to us. But in reality, our judgment is weak. Our judgment is limited. God is saying, hand that over to me. I'm going to, he's trusting us with the love, the encouragement, the support, the walking alongside, the pointing in the right direction. He's going to take care of the judgment. Do we believe that? Do we live that? And then finally, in verse 18, it says, If possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is there anyone in your life you're at war with this morning? Is there anyone in your heart that you're fighting? Paul is is telling the Romans, and he's telling us this morning, if it's all possible, bring peace to that relationship. As you celebrate Thanksgiving, as we celebrate Christmas, as we live together, trying in our efforts to love the Lord with everything we have, we have to live at peace. We have to be quick to forgive and slow to hold anger and grudges. It's not easy. It's not natural. Our sin nature pulls us away from this. And so I come back to the initial question. If Can we love God and not love each other? And the answer, according to Romans, according to the entirety of Scripture, is if we do not love God, we do not love. If we do not love each other, we do not love God. If we do not love each other, then we truly do not love God. 
feel like in most churches and in my life, this is the true test. It's really easy to love a God I don't see who I can kind of make into my own image and a God that that really lives up to my own expectations. But when it comes to real people who do real things and I don't like all the real things they do, it's a lot easier to dislike them and to hate them and to put them into a jail in my heart and say, the key is gone, you'll be there for life. But Jesus says, I came to this earth to a whole world full of people like that. And I died on a cross. A cross for the sinners. You and I are one of those sinners. And so when he says forgiveness and love, he is the greatest example. And his greatest form of love, don't mistake this, the cross was not a defeat, it was a victory. And what was a victory for? It was a victory of worshiping his Father God. He loved the people that did not love him, the one and others. And so we're called to this. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to claim him as your father, your king, and your Lord. It's for us to love each other. How do we apply this to our lives? We need to be slow to anger and slow to judgment of each other. Slow to anger and slow to judgment. My natural tendency is to be quick to anger and quick to judgment. And so I need accountability, you need accountability, we need to support each other. And when we, met, when we fall short, we're there to pick each other up. But if we're gonna be a church that's hospitable, if we're gonna be a church that reflects Jesus, we're a church that's slow to anger and slow to judging. We need to pray for and support each other. I need to know about you and your life so I can pray for you. You need to know about me and my life so you can pray for me. We need prayer. You need prayer. Part of loving each other is praying for each other. And then the third, and I think one of the more important aspects of loving each other, is that we work towards peace with everyone. Everything in our lives, God has allowed for a purpose. Everything in your life, God has allowed for a purpose. Do you think he's going to teach you peace by making it always peaceful? Do you think we learn peace when everything's peaceful? No, we learn peace when there's battles around us. We learn how to find peace. And so the Father is teaching us, he is training us. That thing that has been so hard and so difficult is God training you and teaching you to find peace in it. He's not cursing you with it. He's not beating you up with it. He's saying, I'm teaching you peace because peace is what it is to follow me. To do this, We have to be twice born. Do you know Christ as your savior? Do you know him as your Lord? At this moment, do you know that you're his child? Have you been born spiritually? Because these are spiritual matters. These are not logical matters. These are matters of the heart. All of us in this room know emotion. We know anger, we know bitterness, we know frustration. All of those things, God, can teach us peace and hope and joy through. 
Have you submitted your heart to Christ? Have you trusted him as your savior? If you have, would you make a strong commitment to live at peace with everyone? Finding places of encouragement, finding places of pointing people to Christ as hope. And so this morning as we finish up this series on one another's, I'm a one another, you're a one another, I need to be encouraged, you need to be encouraged, I need to be served, you need to be served, I need to be loved, you need to be loved. Now we must be doers and not hearers. Now we must live out this truth. We need to love one another and let the world know that we love one another. This is a family We are a family this morning. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. We will live eternally together in a home where there is peace. And that peace was not established because we're good people. That peace was not established because of all the wonderful things we've done. That peace was established on the cross. And that cross is more powerful than the enemy and more powerful than sin and more powerful than anger. And we need to claim that. And we need to believe that with our hearts and souls and minds. And then when you believe it, it leads you to action. And that action is you live it out. And so today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, how will you live that out? Is the Holy Spirit of God convicting you? He doesn't convict you to hurt you. He convicts you to heal you. Will we allow that healing in our hearts today? For just a moment, let's all close our eyes. This is a personal thing between you and God. I don't know how or what he's doing in your heart and mind right now. But I know that we live in a busy world and there's lots of distractions waiting for us. And this is a time where we can focus on the Lord directly. And for just a moment of silence, I would encourage you to listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to what he's saying to you now.